God, please help us, Lord. Please help me with this message, Lord, that it would be the, the words of eternal life that I would be speaking, Lord, the words of the Scripture. God, help us to understand, to glean from this everything we need. God, according to life and godliness, in Jesus' name, Lord, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Starting in verse 23, we're going to read about the Sadducees asking about the resurrection, which is an interesting question that they ask, and it's an interesting question considering it's the Sadducees asking the question. And we'll learn a little bit about that. Verse 23, when you're there at church, say amen. The same day, Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. Mm. See, so this is the interesting thing. They say there is no resurrection. What do we know today, church? Is there a resurrection? Amen? Right? Okay. The Sadducees, the same day the Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. One of the things I want to point out here real quick to you, before we continue reading, when somebody doesn't believe something, they're ultimately going to set up a question they ask you about what they don't believe, and you do believe, they're ultimately going to set that question up, and it's going to be, um, it's going to be set up, uh, it's going to be set up uh, with the most extreme circumstance absolutely possible, amen? The most extreme circumstance possible, that's how they're going to ask it to you. They, they set up a straw man. In other words, they set up a fake scenario in order to ask you about something real. Listen to theirs. Listen to theirs. Saying in verse 24, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife... Uh, to his brother, so, so too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Verse 29, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Mm. Attacks them right in their question. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Their question's wrong. Verse 30, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of, ja and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Oh, the astonishment of the people. Is this the first time they've been astonished at his teaching, church? No. Would this be the last time? No. In fact, the world is, continues to be astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Do you continue to be astonished at his teaching? I do. I absolutely do. It astonishes me. It hits me. It jars me. It jostles me. It brings me to my knees, the teaching of Jesus Christ. His understanding of the things he's written because he has written them is unlike my understanding of the things that he's written. 
He understands them perfectly. I do not. I never have. In this life, I never will. I understand some things about God, essential things. Some things are yet a mystery to me. Let's dig into what he's got for us here today. And I want to hit on the trial and the testing and the accusation of Jesus for a moment. You see, they would try him and test him and accuse him and curse him and try and destroy him. And not only in the face and the ear of the people of that generation would they do this, and not only in the face and the ear of the people congregated around him at that time would they do this, but they would do this and set these questions up for all time. And the grace of God is that he allows these questions to be included in the scripture. Listen to what happened when they questioned, questioned Jesus about these things. And listen to how he responded. This is what God is telling us. Not that you will not get questioned. In other words, God is not trying to erase history by excluding from the scripture all those times that Jesus was challenged. And isn't that a lesson for us? They were trying to set a picture up for the people to see him in a different light than maybe they did. You see, if, if some saw him as a great teacher, then they would try and set him up as a bad, even heretical teacher. And if some saw him as Messiah, they would try to set him up as having not the power of God, but the power of the devil, right? They, they tell him that the miraculous things he's doing are not by the power of God. Instead, they tell him what? That he's doing these things by the power of Beelzebul. Who, what do we know about Beelzebul, church? That's the devil. They're like, you're doing this with demonic powers. That's what you're doing. The, the power of the devil, that's what you have. You don't have the power of God, Jesus. You've got the power of the devil. What does Jesus tell them in that same interaction? He says, listen, you can blaspheme me all you want. But once you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, commit a bla blasphemy against him, in other words, the miraculous power of God, the power by which Jesus performs his miracles, then you've got another thing coming because you will never be forgiven in this life or the next. It is very important for us, church, never to ascribe the power of God and the miraculous power of God to the devil that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You see, they were, um, they were trying to control the narrative about him and his teaching, him and his understanding. They hated him. This is the main takeaway from these encounters with Jesus from the Jewish leaders of the time. The Lord reveals to us the time of trial. The hour of trial, as he puts it in the book of Revelation that we're going to read. If you will, flip to Revelation 3. But the Lord reveals to us this time of trial, the hour of trial. He's setting his church up for this very thing while on this earth. And we are his church on this earth. The hour of trial is coming. And that's what he's setting us up for. The apostles believed it then, we should believe it now. Because the hour of trial came, in, in essence, in, in a way, to the apostles of that time, we can also know that if Jesus doesn't come back now, today, or in ten years, or in five years, or next six months, which some people believe he will, I'm not going to go there, because I'm not going to get into that camp. The God of all creation is at least revealing to us what will happen during that hour and no doubt, even if this is not the hour of trial and the hour of temptation before the Lord comes, let me tell you this, we are facing trial, we are facing temptation nonetheless, aren't we? We are in a time in America where we are being tested 
Beyond measure we are being tested, beyond our own measure anyway. He's setting his church up for this very thing on the earth. He, he teaches us about combating the accusations and the blasphemies of the time. We will face them, church. I assure you, we will face them. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 and 11, it reads, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. And I want you to keep those two words in mind, okay? Patient endurance. Anybody got a problem with those? Huh? Yeah. Patient endurance is a thing that we contend with in the flesh. It's hard being patient, and it's hard to endure patience. Endure. Endure it. Stick with it. Live in it. Be hopeful in it. Be steadfast in it. Maintain your peace in it. Be unified in it. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, verse 10 says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now what's this crown that the Lord talks about here, church? It's the crown of salvation. It's the crown that belongs to all the sons and daughters of God through adoption. Because of the grace of God and the faith of the believer, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, given crowns. This crown of righteousness that we wear is a, a stamp of approval. It's an entrance. It's a delight for the believer that we have crowns that represent who we are and the kingdom family we belong to. Because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and He is the King of Kings. Amen? Every test, church, every trial and accusation, Jesus endures on our behalf so that we can be freed from the devastation of it and from the punishment that comes from falling to it. Now, if we endure, we will be kept from the hour of trial, He says. Because you have kept my word, in verse 10, Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world. Again, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. So do you think that keeping God's word about patient endurance is important for you, church? Yeah. Because he keeps us from the hour. That hour of trial that's coming on the world. So how do we endure? Well, we endure by keeping his word about patient endurance. And now, what is his word about patient endurance? Let me go to Romans chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And now we're going to read several scripture verses here that are going to tell us a little bit about patience, okay? Tell us a little bit about endurance. Tell us a little bit about what God's doing to us, in us, for us, ultimately for his glory through patient endurance. Romans 2, 7. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Okay, so if we just take the last part of that, verse 8, those who are self-seeking, so patient endurance in well-doing, right, and seeking for glory and honor and immortality, that's patient endurance, while living in this world, he's going to give us eternal life by well-doing and seeking for the glory and honor and immortality in God. 
That's the opposite of self-seeking. Because we don't seek self. We don't, we don't selfishly live this life, right? Self-seeking, what's another word for that? Selfish, right? You're selfish. Self-seeking. Selfish. In other words, everything you want to do is all for you. It's all for me. I've got to get more and do more. It's all for me. I need to do this so that I'm comfortable. I don't care about y'all. That's self-seeking. Those who are self-seeking do not obey the truth. So if we want to patiently endure, then we will obey the truth. Amen? Those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness. So obeying unrighteousness is not patiently enduring. Obeying righteousness is. You see, patient endurance goes a long way for our souls, and yes, even into eternity, he says. He will give eternal life in verse 7 there. And what does it reveal, or what it does is it reveals the heart within. If we can patiently endure, or if we can't patiently endure, it reveals either way the heart within, whether the heart is seeking after God or seeking after the self. Patient endurance or obeying unrighteousness. We either belong to Christ or we do not. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, 3 through 5 here. Listen to this. Romans 5, 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How many people do you know rejoice in their suffering? Rejoicing in suffering is hard, isn't it, church? But I tell you what, it's godly. It is godly. It is the way of Jesus Christ to rejoice in the suffering. As he hung on the cross, what did God do? What did God do? But cried out for all those who were hurling insults at him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How did he do that? Because he rejoiced in his suffering. Because he knew the life that they were headed for if they would only believe. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Ooh, there's that word. And verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So all this depends on, verse 5, that God's love has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit. Those who belong to Christ, who have the indwelling Holy Spirit in the new temple, which is the body of the believer, excuse me, can patiently endure. All those who have been wrapped up into Christ can patiently endure. It's something that we have access to. It's something we can do. It's something that we don't have to work for to do. It's something that is available for us if we would just walk in it, if we would just step into that patient endurance. He gives us the tools, church, the opportunity and the ability to live it out. He gives us the tools, the opportunity, and the ability to live out patient endurance. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And this suffering that you now face 
as a Christian, is the glorious well of opportunity and hope given to us in Christ Jesus that once we have endured, we will be caught up in the glorious mysteries of Christ. And that is the glory for the Christian. And not because we endure, but because of what the endurance says about your eternal state. Your endurance says that you are saved. Your patient endurance says that you belong to Christ. That you have been adopted. Your patient endurance is a mark. Is it, it is evidence of your salvation. It says that you're saved, you're justified, you're sanctified, you're forgiven. And ultimately it says that you will be glorified. You will be wrapped up with Him in eternity by the glory of God. Patient endurance is not the reason you're saved. You don't need to patiently endure in order to be saved. Rather, it is a byproduct. It is a result of your salvation. Amen? Can you endure it all to the end? Some people even have trouble here in this pandemic patiently enduring, patiently enduring with the church. And so what about persecution? If we cannot patiently endure during the pandemic, how can we expect to patiently endure while we face persecution? What will you say then? Will you patiently endure here? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Patiently endure. You're being prepared, church. You are being prepared. God is preparing you, all of you, for glory. That you would respond to Him the way He's calling you to respond. Will the church across America, worldwide, still grumble and mumble and complain until the end? Or will we patiently endure? What will this pandemic and the things that we go through now and the division of this world and this country, namely, what will this reveal about our hearts? And what does it say about the heart within us? Are, are we comfortable here? Are you comfortable sitting, listening to the word preached? Well, what about when you can't be here? What about when you can't be here? If you couldn't be here, is your spiritual life tied to this building? Is the spiritual life of the church around America tied to a building? I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that it never will be. I pray that your spiritual life would be tied not to a building, not to an organization, not to a country. I pray that your spiritual life would be tied to Jesus Christ. He's the one we need to be tied to. He's the one that we should never forsake. You see, I want you here forever. For every service we ever have, but you cannot depend on me. You cannot depend on the person next to you to be carried away into Christ's everlasting arms. You certainly cannot pretend or, uh, um, uh, uh, depend on a building. You can only depend on Christ for that. To be carried off into Christ, who can you depend on, church, but Christ? 
We gather so that we can be taught, so that we can learn to listen, so, so that we can learn to listen, right? Because we need help learning to listen so that we can be lifted up by the truth, so that we can learn about where we've gone wrong in our spiritual lives, so that we can be corrected, so that we can celebrate the Lord, so that we can do all of this, all of this as an act of worship in unity with our God and an adherence to the book of Hebrews that tells us not to forsake the gathering together of the believers This is why we gather. But we can only do this if Christ allows it. We can only do it if Christ allows it. We can only do this if we're caught up in His glory and we're saved. We can only gather as believers if we're together as believers. If not, then we gather in vain. We meet in vain. And it's all for naught if we're not gathering for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. We gather to worship, don't we, church? We gather to worship, to be in community, to fellowship. That's why we gather. Let us never forget that, church. We need salvation. We need glory. We need Jesus. I pray that we are tied to Him by grace through faith. And we need to follow His word and endure it patiently for His return. Romans 15, 5, listen to this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Let me ask you this. Do you have enduring encouragement in your attitudes towards each other? Do you have enduring encouragement in your attitudes towards each other? An encouragement that endures. Do you have that for each other, towards each other? An encouragement that endures. Or is it only an encouragement that goes so far as, you know, yeah, I'll encourage you as long as you don't do anything to upset me. I'll encourage you as long as you do everything that I think is right. I'll encourage you when you do what I tell you to do. Is that the only encouragement that we are going to have as Christian believers, or are we going to have an enduring encouragement towards one another? that stands the test of time and that is not dependent on the behavior of the other. Because I'll tell you what, Christ had an encouraging endurance for you on the cross as he prayed that you would be forgiven, as he prayed they would be forgiven. Christ had it. We should have it. Again, verse 5 of Romans 15, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same listen y'all give may he give you the same attitude of mind the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had that's big y'all we need an encouragement that endures in a divided world that hates the church because the world hates Jesus Do you have that enduring encouragement in your hearts? I pray that you do, that you would continue in it. You need it. We need it. As a people, we need it. As a church, we need it. Why do we let the world divide? Y'all, the world is even divided on... Where's mine at? The world's divided on these, on face coverings. And I kind of want to show mine off because it has a cross on it and looks pretty cool. Right? Thank you, Carol and Nikki. But the world's divided on, on, on things like this. 
I mean, if the world's divided on something like this, then what about this? Can we patiently endure with one another? Can we patiently endure with one another? Listen to Matthew 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who does evil. I'm sorry. Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Real quick, does anybody believe that this is not true? That we shouldn't do this? I just want to get a show of hands. Does anybody believe that we should not do this and heed this word? Okay, all right. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. And they're forcing me to go a mile, church. They're forcing me to go pretty far. We've got to stay away from each other. We've got to wear masks. We've got to do all these different things, man. We've got to, I, it, it pains me. It breaks my heart that we can't gather as much as I want to. It breaks my heart that I can't be with my brothers and sisters the way I want to. That I can't even travel down to the valley and visit my family the way that I want to. It hurts me. But if they ask me to go one mile, church, I'm going two. And why am I going two? Because this is what the Lord says. He tells me this is what I should do. It's easy for me like this. But I tell you what, I need this. And if I don't have it, then I don't know what to do. Then I grumble, then I complain, then I don't want to do it. Then I get divided, then I call it a political statement when it's not. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons. Listen to this. Verse 45, verse 44 and 45 there's a condition set on verse 45, okay? The condition is verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy, church. Don't, do not even the tax collectors do the same. These same tax collectors who are cheating people out of money left and right. And if you greet your brothers, only your brothers, verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Those who don't know God, those who are far off from God at this point, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is what we strive for, church. It's a sacrifice to follow the mandates of the world. And it, it doesn't 
if it doesn't violate the law of God, then don't fuss about it, okay? That's just an encouragement to you and a challenge and an opportunity for you to follow the Lord. If it doesn't violate the word of God, then, then don't fuss about it. It's just going to make you it's just going to make you unhappy. And I, and I don't want that for you. I don't want you to have less joy. I don't want you to have unhappiness. I don't want that for you. I want you to have all the happiness that God has for you and all the joy that God has for you. Okay, church? I love you. They're itchy though, right? They get a little itchy. Verse um, 14, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read this to you. Patient endurance is a hard teaching, church. I know, but they are the words of Jesus Christ himself, and, and so I'm going, I'm going to heed them, I'm going to keep them, and I'm going to love him by keeping them. You see what this is? By keeping God's word, you love him by doing that. Anybody in here want to love God? Does anybody in here want to love Jesus? Anybody? All y'all. I know it. That's why you're here. We love him by keeping his word. You can read that in John 14 through 16, multiple different passages. John chapter 14 through chapter 16. Verse 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So this is how Peter's saying that we should be found by Christ, okay? Without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord, there's that word again, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Remember earlier when I said this is the it would, it'll tell you what your heart's like, the condition of your heart, patient endurance. Well, where do I get that from? Be diligent to be found in him, or by, I mean, sorry, by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. What other patience of the Lord are we talking about? The patience of the Lord to come back. He's waiting patiently, long-suffering for more to come to him, to come to salvation. Amen? There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Peter's talking about Paul's writings. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. Yet therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Lawless people are trying to take your hearts and minds away from Christ. That's what Peter's telling us. Lawless people are trying to take your hearts and minds away from Christ. They're trying to center your heart and mind on the world. They're doing it every day in the media. 
They're doing it every day in the governments of this world, including our own government. They are getting you to focus on things rather than focusing on God and then on people. Remember, we love God and we love people. This is the mark of the believer, the first and great command, the command and the one like it. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. They're trying to distract you from that, distract you from loving God and loving people. Keep your focus, church. Keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing, church? God is. Jesus. He's the main thing. He's the main one. James 1, 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Remember this as you go through this world that Paul says it with every intention of building you up because he knows well what you will have to endure. And James likewise teaches us the same. So does Peter. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. In other words, live out your salvation through patient endurance as we're called. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I want you to know, church, that your temptations and the things that you struggle with, okay, we all struggle with them in some form or fashion, all right? In some form or fashion, we all struggle with these things. We all have daily struggles that we deal with. It's either our own sin issues or things that are going on in the world that we have trouble comprehending or we have trouble putting our minds to and we really want to put our voice to something, but sometimes we're going to respond emotionally so we know that we shouldn't, we should reserve those words out of emotion for the words that would come out of wisdom instead, amen? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that's the good news there, church, that you're going to be, you're going to be tempted, that you're going to have to endure through that temptation, but that through that temptation, He will not give you more than you're able to handle, okay? Now, in Christ, how much are you able to handle, all of it. Some people are like, ah, oh, now he won't give you more than you can handle. That's right, but how much can you handle? In Christ, he is a victor over all things, isn't he? He has overcome the world. Christ, your ability is everything. In Christ, we can endure anything. We will endure and we will be caught up in his victory over the world. As John 16, 32 and 33 says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Uh, church, each one of us right now in this world, and I'm not saying this is a fulfillment of this prophecy, but what I am saying is that there is a stark, striking resemblance to the fact that we are all scattered to our own homes. Amen? By the glory of God, y'all are able to come in here this morning. Yet I am not alone. I want you to know that when you're at home, that you're not alone. When you're quarantined to your home, 
If anyone's watching out there that is quarantined and you're sick and you've tested positive, I want you to know that you're not alone. Church, we are not alone. In Christ, we never are. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Ooh! Verse 32. I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Who's the me, church? Jesus. That in Jesus Christ we might have peace in the world you will have tribulation ain't that the truth but take heart one of the greatest lines of all time i have overcome the world jesus says take heart i have overcome the world So this is the testing part of the passage, the accusation that they're levying against Jesus. Testing the accusation, the trap set before the Lord, how and how we can respond to those traps and sufferings of many kinds. I hope that you would take away from all that. That we take refuge in Jesus Christ and that we never, ever believe that we are alone, but that we know that we are with God. He is with us. And to take heart because he's overcome this very world that we face tribulation and and suffering. Now, what of the resurrection from the dead? The rest of this passage that we're studying today in Matthew 22. Now, the Sadducees were a sect of the Jewish people who denied the very existence of the resurrection from the dead. What a miserable existence, right? I mean, I'm just speaking here. But to not believe that there's a resurrection, what a miserable existence. Because then that's a people without hope, isn't it? If you're just dissolved into the universe, I mean, come on, what? The Sadducees, this is what they believed, or the essence of it. They thought it was merely a figment of the imaginations of the Pharisees because the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection from the dead. So the Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Look who's together accusing Jesus. And last week we read about who? The Herodians and the Pharisees, right? Man, the Pharisees are sure teaming up with everybody they hate in order to accuse Jesus, aren't they? Man, that's like the old adage, the... uh, what is it? The, uh, the enemy of my enemy. Wait, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. The enemy... Uh, oh, it's, uh, it's evil. The Pharisees had a skewed understanding of the resurrection. They, they thought it merely carnal in nature that they would enjoy the same things in the resurrection that we enjoy here on earth, like... Uh, sexual intimacy, intimacy between men and women, marrying, marriage, all that stuff, right? It was Matthew Henry says that the Pharisees' understanding of the resurrection of the dead was more akin to the Turks, right, or the Arabs, and what they believe, the Muslims, right? Namely, the pleasures of the husband and wife, the Pharisees. So where are the, why are the Sadducees questioning Jesus in this way? Whose wife would she be? Who's going to get her? In other words, who gets the woman in the resurrection? Who gets her? Who gets her? Which one? First husband, second husband, third husband, fourth husband, seventh? Who gets her? 
And what an extreme example, right? Every single one of the brothers died. Right? Golly, what a straw man. So this was an important question for them both, but Jesus points out their error. Both were in error. Their error was in their understanding of it in the first place. They weren't able to understand the scriptures regarding the nature of the resurrection of the dead because they didn't have a heart that was oriented towards God. Remember, the Pharisees are notorious for adhering to the letter of the law and ignoring the heart of the law. Jesus even talks to them about giving to the temple, like you neglect your family, your mom and dad, so you can give to the temple. What's wrong with you? Giving to the temple, that's not to supersede helping your family. That's the heart behind the law. If you want to give, give to your family, your mom, your dad, take care of them. Golly, they took care of you. Your brothers, your sisters, take care of them. If all you got left over is something that you can help your family with, help your family. Help your family. They ignored the heart of the law for the letter of it. The nature of the resurrection of the dead, Ezekiel 37, deals with this at length. I'm going to encourage you, church, read Ezekiel 37. I chose not to include it here because we've got a lot of scripture and a lot of ground to cover. Ezekiel 37. Write that one down. Job 19.26. Write that down. Daniel 12.2. Ezekiel 37. Job 19.26. Daniel 12.2. Also deal with this and express a knowledge of the resurrection to everlasting life. See, it was, an, it, was, uh, it was and is a teaching of the Lord throughout his scripture, the resurrection of the dead. It's not just something that we think of. It's not just something that we think is going to happen. The Lord says it, and he affirms that. But the Sadducees, they denied it. And they wondered, if there is a resurrection, then whose wife of the seven is she? Who gets to have her? Who gets to have her? Which one of the brothers gets to have the girl? The error was in their thinking, and so their question was flawed. See, our marriage here on earth is a godly reflection of the marriage between the Lamb and His bride. Do we know that, church? The Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. In the scriptures, He's also called the bridegroom or the groom. In a marriage, there's a bride and a groom. The bride of Christ, do we know what the bride of Christ is? It's you. It's the church. The bridegroom is Christ. The marriage here on earth is a godly reflection of the marriage between the bride and the lamb. The bride and the groom, Jesus. It's Jesus and the church. We are given in marriage in the beginning one man to one woman so that we can be fruitful and multiply over the face of the earth. We are tasked with bringing people into this world and to teach them about the God who gave us this task and this great, wonderful ability and uh, so that we can all be together with Him in glory. This is the marriage. Once we're, we're there in glory, in heaven and the new earth, there's no need to populate the earth. Why not, church? Because the people are set. The book has been written. And everyone's name who's been written in the Lamb's book of life will be in heaven and on the new earth. There's no need to repopulate. Therefore, there's no need 
for intimacy. There's no need for marriage the way that we have it here. The marriage feast is done. It has been accomplished. We have been put together with Christ in heaven. Once we're there, we don't need the earthly desires and the earthly pleasures that we have here that are able to thwart the sinful life and the sinful nature and the sinful pleasures that we have and the sinful ideas that we have. God knows these things. He gives us allowance. He makes things look on earth as they are in heaven when he gives us the marriage. Once we're in heaven on the new earth, we don't need marriage anymore. Everything that we have All the desires that we have here that we think, man, but what about this? But what about that? That I get to enjoy in marriage. I'm not going to have that there. It's like, no, why not? Because you're not going to need it. You won't even have that desire anymore. Your desires will be completely changed. You will be glorified. Your body has to go into the earth and die as a perishable seed. That way you can be raised imperishable, the New Testament says imperishable without this body i'm not chained to the world and my desires of this flesh and the ones that hold me down and hold me captive they aren't there anymore i've got new desires i've been changed completely i've been wrapped up into the glory and the majesty of christ and i'm completely different and everything that i need is all fulfilled to the nth degree in jesus christ in his presence this is the glory of god We're given in marriage to populate the earth or to repopulate the earth as Noah and his family had to do. But the people and the kingdom are set for all time, for all time. Again, we won't be given in marriage, so we won't be getting married in heaven. We will be like the angels in this way, he says. They are servants of God, the angels who carry out their duties to glorify God in the heavenly places as well as on the earth. They're sent as messengers, right? The word angelos also is uh, the word for messenger. We will serve the Lord in a similar fashion. We'll be like the angels in heaven. We will not become angels. That is a false teaching, you know, thinking that somebody died and that now that they're a guardian angel. That's not in the scripture. That's not true. They're not guardian angels, but they are like the angels in terms of marriage. We will be like the angels in this way, he says. We will all be together once and for all, worshiping the Lord and serving Him daily to honor and glorify Him forever once we're with Him in glory. Think about all the things that hold you down and hold you back from worshiping God here, like in this world, in this place, right? In your daily life. Think about all the things that hold you back Because there are those things, you don't have to deal with that no more. Your heart's desire to worship God. How many of you have a heart's desire to worship God? Come on now. I know it. And you know why? I know it because you're here. You have a heart desire to worship God. All of the hindrances will be wiped away, church. And you will be worshiping freely. 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 That is the essence of freedom, is to worship God without any hindrance, without anything getting in our way. You see, our relationships... I'm sorry, the fleeting love that we experience here, because love here on this planet, even as deep as we can experience it, is a fleeting emotion... That's how people can fall in love and out of love 
all the time. If it's real love, they won't fall out of it. The point and the aim of the Sadducees at that time was to say perhaps, well, because the law says that the wife of one brother must be provided for by the next in line and so on and so on and so on and so on, then whose wife is she? See, they're not getting the fact that our relationships will be completely new. That everything is going to be changed. That we will be different and perfect and peaceful and God-honoring. That we won't even ask questions like, whose woman is she? Whose wife is she? Whose property is she? Is what the Sadducees are asking. And I want you to hear that. Do you hear that? Who does she belong to? They're saying, because you can't say affirmatively whose wife she must be and what that says about the plight and misery of the other brothers who won't get her in the resurrection, then there can't possibly be a resurrection. You see, it doesn't make any sense. That's their argument. Verse 29, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, it's not, I want you to see there, they didn't only not understand the scripture. Because people that are in the church that love God still have trouble understanding certain pieces of scripture. Amen? I'm one of them. Okay? All the time. I take calls from a lot of you, right? From a lot of the church. And other people as well take calls from me. I'm having trouble with this. I go to commentary. I call on Matthew Henry. I call on Charles Spurgeon. I call on John MacArthur. I call on John Piper. I call on these people. Why do I call on them? Right online, through their text commentaries. I don't have a direct line, especially not to the ones who are already dead. (laughs) Why do I call on these people? Because I need help. Because we all don't understand Scripture at times. That's not the end of his statement. Listen to this. You neither understand the scriptures, okay, nor the power of God. That's the kicker. Because we need the power of God in order to understand the scriptures. For in the resurrection, verse 30, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. You see, their misunderstanding was even leading them to ask the wrong questions. So Jesus had to set them straight and let them know they didn't even understand the word of God concerning the resurrection of the dead. And because they didn't understand it, then their question was wrong. God is the God of the living. In our dead flesh, which must die and be planted into the earth, Our lives here are different than they will be there. Our lives are different here than they will be. God is the God of the living. These dead bodies will die, and the soul within us, which is alive in Christ, will, which is the real us, will go on to be with Christ forever. Do you believe that, church? Your soul will go on forever. Eternity is the soul's lifespan. The body limited time some infants some are killed in their mother's womb some as they are infants they die of sids or some other thing some people make it to a hundred or past a hundred some in the bible times make it to 900 and something years old 
Our time here, even if it's 900 years, is limited in the span of eternity. But the soul's life span is eternal. There are two destinations for the soul, heaven or hell. One is glorious, the other is punishing. You see, their question was grounded in the flesh and the desires of the flesh. They saw women as property. They saw women as objects for pleasure. And we don't see them this way, do we, church? Instead, we see women as blessed creatures of God, given to the glory of God, for the glory of God in motherhood, in womanhood, and in the grace of God for men to help and to live alongside us for the glory of God. We are together, equal, created both in the image of God, not one higher than the other or better than the other but having different capacities and capabilities and abilities. Y'all, I can't have babies. I don't know if y'all know that. I cannot get pregnant. My wife can. We have different abilities. We complement each other perfectly. You see, as if women were property that could be given to him or to him or to him or to him or to someone else for any of these brothers for their pleasure, this is what the Sadducees were asking as if women were property. The law about one brother taking the wife of his dead brother was not so that they could transfer property. It's so that they could provide perfectly for the woman. God designed it so that the woman could be provided for, so that she could be taken care of, because if she had children, especially if she had children, but even if she didn't, if it was just her, without a husband, in the world, as they existed back then, guess what? It was over for the woman. She would be living a life in poverty, estranged from everyone else in the community. But God foresaw past that, and he said, listen, if a man dies who has a wife, then the next brother, the next person who's not married must take that wife and must provide for her and take her in and have children for the other brother. Why? So that she can be provided for because she is a blessed, blessed, blessed creature of God. It's for provision for the woman that God decreed this law, not for the transfer of property, which the Sadducees obviously felt. We are image bearers of God, all of us, church. And we are beautiful in His sight. You see, we see women as valuable, and we see women as inherent in the kingdom of God for the service of God in the church and as wonderful teachers to our children the way Timothy's mother and grandmother were to him. You remember Paul writing to Timothy, and talking to him about the way that his mother and grandmother brought him up in the faith and taught him the scriptures. You see, we see women here as Proverbs 31 outlines women to be. They aren't property. And, we ne and they were never meant to be seen this way. But man has muddied up the waters of manhood for centuries. And the Sadducees were doing the same here. But Jesus did not stand for it. And neither should we, church. Neither should we. Let's take this as a reminder and as a guide. When we misunderstand the Scriptures, we will undoubtedly think the wrong things about God and the world. And we will undoubtedly ask the wrong questions. But thank goodness for God and His correction 
because we need it on a daily basis, especially in these trying times. We need God and His correction. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, we honor you and everything that you are for the person that you are. God, I pray that we would understand you more fully. I pray that you would give us an understanding of you, Lord, that surpasses all understanding and knowledge that we've ever had. I pray, Lord, that we would have an understanding of you that would pierce through all of the misunderstanding in us, that would pierce through the division that's going on in our soul, between our soul and our spirit, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding about who you are, Lord, that would cause us to rejoice in you and that we would worship you in the right way, Lord. Lord, lead us here, Lord, to follow you perfectly, Lord. To be holy as you are holy, God. Help us, Lord, as we continue on in our lives here to be at peace with one another and to patiently endure with one another as you have, Lord. And, Lord, that we would know that we are never alone, that we are not alone in this because you are here and your arms are stretched out to receive your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.